0: Welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. This is Series 10, a Rare Birds collaboration with Ghanaian-based Startup Lounge Africa. Startup Lounge Africa is on a mission to continually organize useful information and relevant networks that prioritize the collaborative growth and sustainability of African startups. They are pioneering a special project titled 54 Days Across Africa. 54 Days Across Africa is an initiative geared towards showcasing innovative startup solutions through a continent-wide virtual tour to herald their recently launched digital matchmaking platform, Kutana Africa. 54 Days Across Africa is being completed on a block by block basis. They're having tours in the following order, the West Africa block, the East Africa block, Central Africa block, Southern Africa block, and finally the North Africa block. They recently completed the West Africa block and are currently doing East Africa. In this series, you will hear me in conversation with a few of the startups featured on the West Africa block. Keep listening in to hear more about Kutana Africa as well as the four startups I will be in conversation with over the course of the next few weeks. First of all, we're using um, social media. We're using Facebook. Mm-hmm. After them we got, uh, we got actually a
1: deal with the national television and we use them as a media platform where we gave them
0: content every week on
1: Normally, we have businesses that have, um, so like most of our competitors who are the traditional travel and tour agencies, they have tour guides as well. So we come into connection with them. They give us their guides, we train them, and then we give their guides, some tourists to go on tours with them. So those folks, we can classify them as businesses or agents. This has been a, a continent with a lot of opportunities. Um, a, a lot of resources as well. And I did indicate earlier on about the potential of the pre-trade area. That's how to say, if I were to just paraphrase the news, would be that they mostly focus on parents. So it's more like, how are you going to help those schools? So it's either they focus on parents or they focus on teachers. For example, bjus Juice, which is...
0: Because for me, it's all about um, yeah, as I said, it's all about the process. So I see it as a brand, though, that is exporting internationally and right. um, that has its followers and fans and where people feel they can even contribute to the growing and the process and the developing of, of the brand. In the first episode, number one nine eight. You will hear me speaking with Samuel Opoku and Prince Kelly Anyomi, founding partners of Startup Lounge Africa. In episode number 199, I speak with the founder of Tukwan, Philip Gideon I. Darko. In episode 200, I speak with Badu Mbai Jr., the Gambian founder of HiTech. In episode 201, I speak with Prosper Ukachi, the Nigerian founder of Shortcode. And lastly, in episode 202, I speak with the Lydia Aminiaglo, the Ghanaian-German founder of Plenty, Plenty Africa. I hope you enjoy listening to these conversations and hearing what some of the early stage startups and their founders are building in West Africa. Remember, this list is by no means exhaustive. And if you would like to learn more about the various startups featured on the tour, do visit the Startup Lounge website at www.lounge.org startup lounge gh.com and as always visit the rare birds hq website at www.rarebirdshq.com for more conversations as we continue to share all the transformation happening across emerging markets around the globe bye for now Welcome to episode 201 of Series 10, a Rare Birds collaboration with Ghanaian-based Startup Lounge Africa, a series of podcasts featuring some of the West African startups on their West Africa tour. In episode 201, I speak with Prosper Ukachi, the Nigerian entrepreneur and founder of Shortcode, Prosper Ukachi is a motivated undergraduate turned EdTech entrepreneur. He currently holds the CEO role at Shortcode Technologies Limited and is a country chapter brand ambassador for the African Innovation Week. Having lived in Nigeria, Africa's largest economy, Prosper has been faced with the contrast of a country with vast resources with a 50% poverty rate. His goals are to improve living conditions of the millions of people throughout the the continent with the use of mobile technology. Prosper has helped his team, Short Code, and previous projects win hackathons and grants. He partnered with a friend to run a commerce business at age 18 and has gotten Short Code some recognition. He prefers to give credit to others and loves reading in his leisure time. Shortcode uses technology to facilitate access to quality teachers and teaching aids for schools. In this episode, you will get to know Prosper, the problem Shortcode is solving, education and the job market, as well as the role of the teacher technology and how it's changing education. You'll gain understanding into the inner workings of his platform. He'll share general challenges faced by teachers who register on the platform. We discuss how the business model has changed as a result of COVID-19. He'll share with me competition among schools, the future of short code and the challenges ahead, not just for short code, but for education as a whole. Listen in to another fascinating episode And as always, I will see you guys at the end. Greetings, Prosper, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets podcast.
1: Thank you. It's It's actually a pleasure to be around
0: yeah thank you for um being on the podcast for joining us giving us some of your time to talk a little bit about short code so prosper before we get into your startup that you're building can you please just share with our audience a little bit about who you are your background and where you come from yeah
1: of course um so i'm more of like a student i would say so um, my name is Praswakachi, the country um, chapter ambassador for the African Innovation Week. So that's like an um, annual program out of Ethiopia that rallies African startups and showcases them to the world. And I'm also the founder of, um, and CEO of Sharko Technologies Limited. So that's like an tech startup that uses um, machine learning and um, profile algorithms to like improve literacy outcomes among students and pupils in schools. So um, also in my personal life, I would say I'm more of kind of like a student. So I studied civil engineering um, in Greg University um, here in Nigeria. And I've actually seen a lot. I would say I've, I've been in the poor aspects of life. I know what it's like to be poor and live under $1 a day. And I know what it's like to live under maybe 100 or so a day. So I, I know what people feel, how they behave, their language, even their level of literacy, their spending powers due to the fact that, okay, this person is... Um, below middle class, above middle class, and how that relates to um, education. I'm also like the first um, of four in my family. So that's a bit about me. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you have a a varied view on life, which is good. You know what it's like to have and what it's like to have not. And I imagine that has informed much of um, the building and the decisions that you're making as you build short code.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because that actually translates to a lot of things. Because, for example, um, the schools that are elites are very few, and that's also the same in reality. Elites are also very few, while mainstream are usually like middle class and then the lower class.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, very few of us who are in the startup space or building startups are from poor backgrounds or have been poor. I mean, it, you, you meet people who, who come from there, but they're generally it's, it's usually people who are from more middle class or educated backgrounds. So sometimes they're not as close to the problem. So when, when you're able to say that you've been on both sides of the spectrum, that's, that, that just gives you some insight that you, you would not otherwise be able to have. So that is actually really brilliant. Uh, thanks for sharing that. So tell us about short code. What problem is it solving?
1: Yeah, so um, literacy, that's just in one word. Um, for example, about one in two children in Africa mm-hmm. will be unable to achieve um, minimum proficiency levels by the time they complete lower secondary school. And if you were to take that on a global scale, that's um, more than 400 million children and adolescents in sub saharan Africa Central and Southern Asia that uh, will not be achieving these proficiency levels, and this will make them lack the capacity for like job skills training, and we have not even considered like real emplo- em- employment, and this spreads like to tens of millions of youths who are already unemployed, and because it's really hard to like train um, adults to be like okay no this is how you write a letter and know this is how you address people in the workplace. And this is the kind of soft skills that we want. These things are actually gotten at their younger ages in school. They are not supposed to be taught by the time they're adults because it's really easy for an adult to say, I don't really want to hear whatever you're saying. What you're saying is crap, so sorry. But for a child, it's actually a bit hard for a child to really zero it out because like they're in school. And that's like the atmosphere um, for learning. So it's a bit harder. But the fact is that schools do not optimize for literacy. They only optimize for grades. And if you can get the grades, it's cool. So someone could learn something, but not know why they're learning it. And then you you'd get graduates that can't create proper CVs. Like for example, there aren't supposed to be software for CVs that doesn't make sense like how would you um graduate with a, a degree and still need software to be able to address how you place your achievements that that doesn't just make sense so that's like one of the problems that's really hitting the world and we're looking at more than 600 million children if you were to count everyone 400 million is just like our target like our target market so that's a lot of people
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, much of the educational systems around the world are not teaching skills. They're just teaching skills, teaching students to pass exams. It's just about taking tests, like you said. So you never really learn how to apply the knowledge that you've learned in the classroom. And then you don't really acquire skills. So like you said, you can graduate from high school, university and still have absolutely zero skills like no skills which is so it just leaves me flabbergasted to be honest but that's that's how it is for the majority of of people in the world right
1: yeah like for example um if you are an elite it's a bit more different like there was there was a article i read i think this is in china or so um elites have they have time there's time they're not pursuing a specific exam. Okay, I think this is Singapore. They're not pursuing a specific exam. So they literally have time to play. And by playing, they also have time to practice what they just learned. So it it, it really changes things because for example, if you're in a class and that class has 400 students, it it's just not gonna work. than a class that you just have five and then your, the teachers get like i don't know a few million a year you, their way of like treating those students is going to be like really different from an overcrowded class um, under supported teachers and schools that just want to know that okay by the end of this term we should have had a specific profit margin and yeah so it's really really sad
0: yeah. So going back to the problem that you mentioned, which is uh illiteracy, would you mind sharing with us like just some some stats for, for say Nigeria specifically so we can get an example of how big the problem is?
1: Okay, um, so um in Nigeria we have about like 70,000 K12 schools, um, about less than like of these schools are allied. Now, um, Nigeria has an unemployment rate of about, I I think it's it's closing in more than 18% or so. So this means that we have more than 23 million youths um, unemployed. Um, And Nigeria turns out about like 600,000 graduates a year. Um, To put that in perspective, looking at Africa, Africa turns out about 10 to 12 million graduates a year. But within that time frame, there are only like 3 million jobs in the corporate space. And believe you me, everyone that, should I say 90% at least that go to universities do not go to universities to come out and become a farmer. They go to universities to come out and work in the corporate world. So you'd you have less than 50% of this number of people vying for jobs that the unemployed um, sector, (laughs) will I call it that, are still looking for. So you would now have um, a very, very unequal supply of demand, or Mm -hmm. should I say, an equal demand and an equal supply. So you'd have a few million that want to hire for jobs and you have a few 10,000, that don't have jobs. This is why you now hear that employers are not finding the right candidates. It's not like there isn't talent. But the problem is that these talents are not trained. These talents don't have the skills. And this is what everyone keeps saying. Well, they don't do this in school. And this is the best time to actually do it. When they are coming up, like I, for example, I talked to the a school admin. I think that was um, last week or the week before, and what she was saying was that you look at them from like ages um, seven, I'm um, sorry, ages three to like ages nine, seven nine. This is the age that you actually impact all this stuff. So when someone cannot really learn all these things at that young age, and then they don't learn it at senior secondary school they don't learn it in high school, they don't even learn it in college. Oh, come on. So how do you really expect someone like that to really like thrive in the workspace? It's prevalent everywhere. It's in America, it's all over the world. So it's, it's not like, how do we train these people as adults? But then it's really a missed opportunity because these people don't have that access. And this is what we want to give to these children access so that they won't fall behind like people before them
0: right absolutely so would you mind sharing with us then your solution and how your your platform is specifically solving the illiteracy problem and everything else that you just shared with us
1: yeah so um We tried a lot of things the our vision is the same so we want to make better schools for better classes so we tried a lot of things and what we landed on that actually worked was that you would have to help the schools you can not create literate children at scale without being in touch or should i say elevating the schools that help these people so and COVID nineteen disrupted um, the studies of more than one billion children. Mm-hmm. Believe you me, more than more than seventy percent of that one billion children were in schools. They were not taught online. If they were taught online, they were taught online by a school. They weren't taught by apps. Most of them that use apps still go to school. So if you really want to have that impact you have to help schools so what our platform does is um we do teacher recruitment for schools that's the first thing because schools literally hire anyone to save costs and because they don't have the time so you could see schools for example in africa you could see schools waiting three four months just to get the right teacher Mm -hmm. and then you could look at how many clients they would have lost within that time so they just anyone that they see they just pick up that person and the person just does anything. So you would have mm-hmm. graduates that know nothing about how to teach English. And this person, all they did in school was electrical engineering. And all of a sudden, he's teaching English. And you really expect those children to be able to speak well. That doesn't, it's just not possible. So we were looking at how do we reduce those costs, make mm-hmm. it instant, so that these schools can either... Find these teachers themselves without having to go through agents. I promise them heaven and earth and then charge them so much and then give them quality, help the teachers actually provide the right teaching to these children. So it's more of teaching aids in the form of courses for teachers. We do that for free because you first have to give a free product, of course, but like we do that for free. The right. equipment is also free for the equipment is free for schools, too. But teachers pay, obviously, because, yeah. So then on the literacy aspect, literacy is more of the last thing because we first have to make schools comfortable with us before we now actually attack the problem of why they're not doing what they're supposed to do. So for example, with our courses that help these teachers to be able to become better even when they don't know anything about the field, So we're looking at creating courses that can make, for example, a novice become an accredited teacher within weeks. So that's using machine learning and ETC. So um, by doing that, we now can be able to now see, okay, there are improvements in these students and the rest. And then we now use um, metrics to be able to track this so that at the end of everything, we know that this is what happened. And by doing that, then we can now say, okay. X amount of students in number of schools in one location or the other have now become from illiterate to literate. Mm. What method do we use and the rest? and the rest. So by that, we can be able to do this at scale because since we're using technology, we can do this at scale where you impact not ten, 900, 9, 000, not 9000 not 10,000, but a few hundred thousand schools. And a school, one school could house up to 5,000 students. So yeah, you you can see how big that is.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I must say, I appreciate your approach because um, although they may be out there, I have to speak for myself when I say that I haven't found too many ed tech startups that are actually focused on helping schools or helping teachers it's usually about the students not that that's obviously not important but there's there seems to be a bit of a neglect of a deficit where where actually the schools or the teachers are concerned it's always like help the student help the student but a lot of the times it just seems like the teachers just left to help themselves right so that's a really interesting approach that you're taking where did that come from like why why did you choose to go that route um as opposed to just taking the route that everybody else takes yeah
1: so um we interned like a program i'll I'll call it intern because they were not paid anything so yeah but um this program was a launch program for startups by um startup circles so they're like a, a south african firm that works with a vc and like they train startups, they give you all those intel so you can know, like, okay, this is my right footing. This is what I'm supposed to say. I'm supposed to pitch. I'm supposed to run my business, etc. So the first, should I say, one of the first statements that the founder gave to me was, um, "EdTech is very hard." And when he like he sent a few PDFs and rests to be able to like show us like success stories. These success stories were able to communicate with schools. It's either they had success with schools, whereas they were able to like shorten the timelines. This is um, the time from when the school approves to use their solution and stuff like that. Or they went full on to students and spent a lot. And when you look at things, you have a few thousand startups going after parents. And you have a few 100 startups going after schools. Mm. So and then you look at where the money is really going. Where would a parent really spend a school or an app? And mm. I tend to see, I tend to see, because we tested a lot of things out, I tend to see parents at the end of the day saying, Well, I may pay more, but I'm kind of like going to still stick with my school you you look at countries that have like one of the best literacy rates in their children from young ages like singapore and if you look at the most successful firms their schools not applications so when you look at these things you'd hear like for example another school admin I, I talked to he was like it's not possible for an application to replace a teacher it's impossible neither is it possible for it to be online and replace a teacher. But if, if you can do that in AR and VR, yes, it's possible. But like show a screen, it's written, it's videos. Yeah, this these are young children. They don't have that capacity yet to be um, able to really give themselves that motivation for something that they feel is really boring. So that was where, or should I say, and a lot of other things too, but I guess maybe minor or major, but it's just like where we got our inspiration from. It's not always nice to follow the crowd because you tend to spend more. I'll just say it that way. Right,
0: right. Yeah, it's just that normally you find that um, most startups are are very student centered and student focused, or uh, they are using the technology to create a different kind of learning experience. For example, you mentioned AI, machine learning, robotic learning. I mean, we know that the classrooms of the future are going to be one where the The teacher and the technology are going to be working together. So like robots and teachers or maybe more technology than teachers. I mean, like you said, there are the younger students need teachers, but um, you know, in the future, the future, the future of education is in a teacherless classroom or in some instances, there may be a teacher there, but the role of the teacher changes. Right. The teacher isn't necessarily teaching, but maybe just managing and overseeing. So, um, yeah, 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 (laughs) definitely. So,
1: yeah, I'll I'll actually say um, that. In my own view, mm-hmm. um, the teacher should be the one. Let's say technology takes over and whatever. The teacher should be the one to be able to access assess the students. So let's say they are learning. The teacher should be the one to not have that time, because now they're not the ones teaching. Mm-hmm. So they cannot have the time to like pinpoint like, oh, this child actually doesn't fit well in this. This is not their learning style. Um, okay, this is what you're supposed to do. You get you have to correct, reframe students, pupils. They can have yeah. that time to not do that. They cannot do that for a whole class because they, le- they learn from the technology, but a teacher is the one that does the finishing touches. We're humans. We will we'll always want a human touch. It's just so hard, really. It's just so hard to say yeah. that you can really replace that. If it was that way, then a lot of vices would not be existing right now. But if vices are mostly human to human, not human to objects. So if someone can do vices that way, then what about the good parts? So, yeah. So I feel, yes, it will come. But until they can be able to perfect that, it's going to take a while.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think ideally the best situation is where we can work together because I think that there is a there's a level of automation that a computer can do or a robot can do. But like you mentioned, you know, the human brings bring that human quality the emotions and the logic and all of that other stuff but you're absolutely right it will be a while but then again who knows a lot of things were supposed to not arrive now and they're here right so i mean there are some classrooms in the world that um where robots already exist so it's already happening and there is a teacher there but again the role of the teacher has changed. So um yeah, exciting times. But what I wanted to ask you was so would you say your 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 startup is more of a would you say it's like a consultancy to schools? You act as a consultant? Actually,
1: yeah, I would actually say recruitment, not okay. consultancy. Because okay. that actually limits that limits us actually if we're consultants.
0: Okay. Okay, so you are you're focused mainly on recruit on recruitment.
1: Yeah, because okay, got it. We are recruiting the talents, and then we can change that talent. And when we can change that talent, that talent can change the students. And when we can change the students, that impacts.
0: Got it. I understand now. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Can you talk to us about um the actual, like the, the platform side of the business? Is there like the actual, is there a, a platform that the teachers, like how do you engage with the teachers? Are you, are they coming to a platform and registering and vetting and, and all of that stuff? Can you just tell us how that whole process goes and where it all happens?
1: Yeah, so since we're early, some of it's still um, coming up. But yeah, teachers do come to our platform. So they come, they register, they put their details. Um, our vetting is in different forms. So we try to make ourselves more recommendations because it's just so hard to be the de facto for like a few thousand schools. And if you look at Africa, Africa has more than 400,000. Um, and if you look at India, India has more than a million and these are the, like the two markets they were looking at. So that's about 1.5 million schools. And um, it's just gonna be so hard for like <laughs> 10,000 schools to like use the same tests. No, it's not gonna work. So we, we look at it, that uh, we try to partner with the schools, um, use their own tests, automate those tests. Then a teacher can pass the tests and then the school's like, okay, it's cool. Then the school still has to interview their teacher so that it's not going to be like if the teacher fails sure code is to blame what we do is that we use automation we use our advanced vetting we use a lot of contacts communications and the rest to be Mm -hmm. sure that we can recommend the best of the best teachers then the ones that fall behind because we have a very um acute shortage of teachers right now Mm -hmm. so the ones that like fall behind we look for how to make them Part of the best so this is where those free courses come in because if you can give someone something for free they feel it's like it's kind of like a compliment and when that person becomes accredited by us he joins the league of the best and then gets hired and gets money for free so he didn't pay to be able to have that access all he just needs to do is have internet and maybe come to a few centers and stuff like that and then boom, they has a job. Then he cannot pay for extra services that perfect, let's say his teaching skills in class. So that's like our own method and that's what we think might work the best for um, schools.
0: Right, and the training that you guys provide, is it all done in-house and offered by your, it's, it's tailored and created by your company and offered to the teachers?
1: Yeah, of course, of course. We're looking to make partnerships, but some partnerships do take time. So we first have to like, let's perfect this just in case of something, especially yeah. when it comes to lawsuits and the rest. So it's, it's preferable to like be able to do it yourself than if you really now need that help. Let's say, like, for example, some schools would like to follow different types of curriculums. Right. So you could partner with a you can now partner with the best of the best and then now do those kind of programs for those schools.
0: Okay, I got it. Would you like to share with us um just some of the general challenges that that teachers are facing? Like what is the biggest, like the big the biggest uh or the largest hurdles that teachers are experiencing in terms of preparedness in the classroom and being ready to get into the classroom and I guess the pain points for schools what is it that schools are lacking in teachers
1: well um aside being one of the best professions literally Mm. um I would say teachers are really really underrated so Mm. that's just it they are underrated. That's what I was saying. So it's like for example, Singapore that has one of the best um, literacy rates. if not the best in their lower high school, primary, nursery. They their teachers end well. And where did that come from? The government. So these people were like, we we got no resources. We got no partnerships, we're like on our own, but we need to make something out of this. So what do we do? And we were like, okay, what if we could improve our knowledge base? So by improving our knowledge base, you need a teacher. And they did that. And you get teachers doing their work well, because all of a sudden the government cares about you. And mm. when there's that care, a lot of private institutions try to beat the standard of the government obviously and that introduces more care. so you you get acceptance so since it's not the same everywhere you'd have that kind of problem it's actually something that's manageable but obviously it's not something a business one business can really fix even if you're microsoft it's just not gonna work so that's one of the problems teachers really face they feel like they are like segmented, let me put it that way. They feel like these people don't understand because it looks so simple. You get, I'm just talking to this child. I'm just writing. You get, I'm like, I'm just changing my voice tones. And people are like, what's <laughs> what like what's so special there? But these people forget that when they were younger, they were also taught by a teacher. And if they weren't, they are illiterates. And we all know where illiterates are in in the circle of society right now. So these are like the things. Then for schools, might I add, schools also have problems. Let me put it that way. In various parts of the world, apart from having access to talent, some schools, let let me use um, Nigeria for example, schools face multiple taxation. So this means that the school would charge the parents a premium. You get that kind of stuff. And yeah, the parents would pay, of course, because they want the best for their child. And the schools would be like, wow, we're going to get a 50% profit margin. This is really cool. You get that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then it trans—it translates to really high salaries for teachers. And what happens is you see teachers that finally, instead of taking public transport, they finally have their own cars. And they feel among even when they're in private schools. And that translates to learning. The teacher now goes out of their way, obviously because they will not have access to courses that can just help them, because obviously those courses don't really exist, but they will go out of their way. You get, take courses and stuff to actually update themselves because they feel accepted. And this benefits the school, but for the multiple taxations that school face is that They are taxed on everything. Like, literally, they're taxed on um, inspection, they're taxed on their buses that are used to convey children. They're taxed normally also. as a normal income tax. They may may even be taxed on their gross income. They're taxed online. I think, wow, there's a lot. So, you you would now see schools either trying to evade, because they need to still make profits after paying salaries. So, is it a teachers are laid off or the quality of teachers reduced. But a lot of these things can still be changed. So it's not really like you can't really make things better just because the government behaves some negative way.
0: Right. Right. And what changes are you seeing uh, since COVID? Because I think COVID has really shown the world that we need teachers. I mean, like you said, most teachers, yeah. will probably, most teachers will probably tell you that they have a thankless job. They have an underappreciated job. But COVID kind of reaffirmed that we need teachers, the importance of teachers. I mean, we all saw all the parents who are having public meltdowns on social media because, you know, they can't manage having their kids at home. And, you know, they can't supervise their child to do a basic math problem. And there was just absolute chaos. Right. So. If anything, we know that we need teachers. So, um, what what have you seen any shifts or any changes since COVID nineteen? Like just in trends, or any any changes that you've had to make in your business or in your business model as a result?
1: Yeah, for our business model, everything is still centered around feedback. So, um, the first thing is that schools try to accommodate their teachers. Mm-hmm. They do not want to lose teachers. So, this is one of the things that COVID brought about. Um, before (laughs) schools fire teachers and that's it. You really, it's just, that just, it. but now like for example, there was a school I was talking to, I think that was, um, that was early this year on February. Um, the school lost all their teachers. Um, and that's a very critical situation because the parents are about to resume their children for the next term or the next period, or the next session. And then i find out that there's no math teacher, no English teacher, no agrig, no social sciences, no basic sciences, ETC. The first thing a parent would do after um, witnessing such a thing would be, I'm withdrawing my child to a school. That means a certain percentage of revenue that they will have concurrently been getting just got wiped out. So you now have schools like saying, we don't want to lose
0: mm-hmm.
1: our teachers. So what do these schools now do? They just post, um what's it called? Yeah. They post vacancies like anywhere, like literally. Apart from the fact that they will make it in the billboards, which cost a lot of money. They post it anywhere. They post it on WhatsApp. They post it on Facebook. They don't really care. They just, just come. Some even yeah. say, even if you're a high, even if you're a high school leaver, just come. Like, are desperate. There is, yeah, they're desperate for teachers. Though some, their characters don't really change, so they are still like jerks and stuff like that. But they are desperate for teachers, so that acceptance did come. But because COVID didn't really change much, I I would actually say, when it comes to education, COVID just changed perceptions. That's all. Mm. That's all it did. Mm. Yeah. Like what else did it do? Nothing. For example, if it touch transportation, let's say um food, uh uh-huh. you could say COVID disrupted supply chains, COVID um, caused inflation. You get there's a lot of stuff. But in education, because a lot of schools, or should I say a good percentage, about more than 10% of global schools could like go online then what did it really change? I think it's more of perceptions. But teachers online, online didn't work.
0: School. Online didn't work a majority of the time. It didn't work.
1: Yeah, but the teachers were paid. Right. Some schools literally find found a way to pay these teachers because they are private. So the, the government doesn't really cater for them and say, okay, here's a stipend to stay for like the next three, four, six, 12 months. So um, but these schools still went out of their way to pay for these teachers, even if it was a slash salary, because they know that if they cannot keep parents, parents are just like normal consumers, customers, they would find an alternative. And what's happening right now is that I don't know whether it's global, but I know in Nigeria, schools are multiplying. I think this is also happening in India. Schools are multiplying. So this means that People have, this, have discovered that it's a multi-million whatever currency business, if you can get it right. Because if you multiply the number of students per class and times it times six, which is the lowest average a school should have or will have, yeah, in millions. So then you now need to factor in salaries because the teachers will always be less than the, school, um, the students and stuff like that. Pattern salaries and the rest. So you have a very good profit margin if you play your cards right. And people that have the resources are seeing this. And what is this creating? Competition. Yeah. And so schools now have to look for ways to stand out, which is also one of the things that we offer schools um, to help them stand out. But like on their own, without us, they're looking for ways to stand out. And one of those ways is to keep the best teachers. And also, the education industry is also a bit vague, so I don't know. It's not really clean like I would, I would say people feel it is. It's not really clean because all, all people see is that there are businesses, you know, fitting around helping students, and that is cool. Yeah, it ends there. They're not really seeing what happens in the school districts. Highest, they could hear about, okay, a certain incident happened at a school, For example, in Nigeria, maybe someone got kidnapped in a certain high-risk, dangerous place or something, or schools really doing well. These are like normal things. It's just like saying Microsoft released another version of Windows. Yeah, it's Mm. it's, it's normal. You get, but you don't hear about Microsoft's, you don't hear about what's happening in Microsoft's, let's say, um, executive teams, and maybe they have a problem there, and that's not allowing them to be able to move forward or they're being too cautious so that they cannot, so they'll not enter into antitrust um, problems like Google, Facebook are facing. Yeah, you don't don't get to hear those parts about schools because it's actually very shrouded. So, yeah.
0: What you said is is one that I agree with. Um, Schools are, education is a big business, first of all. And uh, a lot of the people running the schools at times are not, educators themselves, but they're business people, so they have figured out how to market, they have figured out how to play into the fears of parents, and they're selling an idea, you know, and and parents buy into that fear, because, you know, uh, so many educational systems around the world, the public, the state systems are failing. And the parents are looking for alternatives, particularly those that can afford it. So these schools are multiplying, they're getting bigger. And like you said, there's a lot of competition. But yeah, parents are buying into it and they're going crazy and it's just a big market. There's a lot of competition, like you said, a lot of competition.
1: Yeah, of course, that's actually very true. And obviously, so still compete on price always
0: mm, 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 definitely so it sounds like you work in the private the private market the private schools private sector and international schools is that where you yeah,
1: yeah 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 okay. yeah they still make up the majority yeah like mm-hmm. for example um in Nigeria yes seventy thousand seventy two thousand around that range um just under two thousand are government schools. So you have like ninety mm. percent plus are private.
0: Oh wow. Yeah,
1: so yeah, so yeah. Like how how many okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. About thirteen thousand, sorry, are governments. 13. Okay. Then, oh, okay. oh, yeah, so okay. so, so, that, so that yeah, so that's still one of fifty percent are private schools. So still a large number.
0: Jeez, and these are a mixture of international schools, parochial schools uh i guess religious and and a little bit of everything but all under that private umbrella right yeah exactly. um, international yeah
1: british like american so much.
0: everything that you can think like,
1: of new age like islam islam has their schools christianity they have their schools like everyone like everyone has their schools like it's, it's just there
0: yeah and then you have the IB schools, the AP American schools, the British schools, the Canadian schools.
1: Exactly. Those exactly. that cater
0: to the expats, those that cater to to this group and that group and, and everything else. Mm, fascinating, fascinating stuff. So uh, Prosper, tell us about the future. Where where do you see all of this going? Where would you like the business to go? What are what are you working towards, say, in the next five, five years?
1: Yeah, we, we want to go big, obviously. But we want to do it in such a way that everyone's going big with us. So, um, this this is trying to solve a lot of problems at the same time. Um, acute um, lack of teachers, we're actually trying to solve that, of course. Illiteracy e. among amongst more than half of with the world's children, we're also trying to solve that. This, um, I would say, if someone was to ask me, or if I was to ask someone, I, I think my response or their response would still be, this is a moonshot idea. But everything is step by step, and it's more positioned to scale. So I feel technology is really a very, very, how I put it now, um, an advantageous factor in this sense. So in the next five years, we're looking to be in about seven countries. It's mostly okay. online, so that's possible, Yeah. Um, we've gotten a lot of good vibes. So I've gotten some good vibes from Ghana. We've gotten some good vibes from a smaller country in Africa. so I've forgotten their name. Yeah, so, and, but we've not gotten anything from India, obviously, because we have not, like, gone and searched their markets. India, it's, in India's markets, I would say, if I were to just paraphrase the news, would be that they mostly focus on parents. So... It's more of like, how are you going to help those schools? So it's either they focus on parents or they focus on teachers. For example, B Juice, which is um, one of the highest valued um, private firms. Kudos to them. That was, that's really, really good. But if you look at the space, you discover that it's it's really, really hard, too. This is why they're acquiring other startups, because they're targeting parents. It's very hard to keep parents. Very hard. Mm-hmm. So they attack they are acquiring so many different businesses in education to make sure that a parent that comes there must buy something. You get because they're like an all-in-one kind of thing. So kudos to them, yeah. That's really cool. So that's like the way India's market is. But schools still exist, obviously, but I, I would say their structures will be a bit more different than what we have in Africa. Then we look at um, some parts of is it northern Europe or so. And then we now look at higher um, versions. For example, we're looking to help governments to um, assess learning outcomes. According to UNESCO, um, more than 90 nations, countries, as I would put it, yeah, it's better countries, more than 90 countries do not assess learning outcomes. This means that they don't know the learning outcomes of their children. Just wait for... UNESCO, UNICEF, whatever global body to just do it. And that's very bad. Kenya has been trying. Nigeria, nah. Very few countries do this stuff. So we're looking to be able to like help these countries do this so that they can know. We're also looking to um, create um, maps. So this would allow countries to know what parts of their... Um, Population is illiterates and what are illiterates. This will help them to better um, give help to who really needs help. For example, illiterates are very, very marginalized in Nigeria. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. You'd see you would see on the news people that are really getting the help. These are literates. These are not illiterates. The illiterates are giving stipends that cannot help them do anything. The literates are giving Um, all I call it now, are giving materials, they're giving equipment that can make them start real businesses and even be giving money too. While the illiterates are just giving little stipends that can just barely feed them a month, considering the price of goods in the market. So, and because there's no framework, there's nothing to guide, they're just like, they send a few people out and they're like, okay, I think these people need help and then they look and talk to the person and the person is like, I cannot speak English. Uh, They just said, no, sorry, this one does not understand English. We need people that understand English so that we know that we're spending our money well. Yeah, so this is a lot of things that illiterates are facing, but it's really hidden because no one talks about it. After all, everybody thinks everyone is illiterate because we're all literates that use the internet. I don't see illiterates using the internet so much, so. You get what I mean? So that's that's like what we're trying to do. Help a few dozen nations by five, six, 10 years to be able to assess learning outcomes at a larger scale. This will enable these countries of um, skill, talents um, in their neighborhoods, in their states, and really compete. Because when a nation can know that 80% of their their workforce are illiterate. That is not something that someone can just tell someone and be like, oh, uh, it's not really a big deal. They will work on it. And then you discover that when your citizens are more literate, they tend to behave more maturely. Though this is not true 100%, but there is development. For example, Japan one of the largest um, GDPs in the world, blah, 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 blah. But they have one of the highest literacy rates globally. Literally almost all, like almost uh, more than 90% of their population is literate. So when these guys are talking, they get respect because everyone there knows their rights. And look at all these Asian nations, the ones that developed. You'd see smartphones are normal. You get it's normal, not like some people don't have some people have like there is a certain level of improved spending power because of how they're able to upscale their talent. So because of this, employers don't have that trouble to say we don't know who to hire from here, we have to hire from abroad. The only time they can have those kind of problems is let's say the country has a low birth rate. These are like natural things, but this stuff that involves skills are something you can you can actually edit. You can solve all this stuff, but you cannot do it when they are adults. And we're also looking at also being able to bring out programs that can help the adults that have been left out. So mm-hmm. apart from saving the children, you get adults still exist. They still need to cater. If they cannot cater for whatever family or whatever thing they want to do, they go to crime, and. Many people have talked about it, um, I've forgotten there's an, ex- an executive that talked about it, that he's afraid of what the future will look like if the unemployment rates climbed. Mm-hmm. About 200 million people right now, uh, 200 million people right now globally are unemployed, that could rise to 400. Some estimates are saying to reduce, but if everyone is still going the same way they went before 2020, I doubt it's going to reduce, I doubt it very much. In America right now, everyone is jumping from job to job. Really, the employers did not increase. They're the same. For example, Amazon didn't just change their policies. They just increase what they can pay because they have the amount to pay. It. But they can never employ everyone. So these are things. And we're not looking like, how can we help these adults? It's possible. But it's just that theirs is more slower because they're not like under like one body like a school is. You get that kind of really just do that. So theirs will be a bit similar to what people are doing, but we'll use the same techniques that works on younger ages. And then these people would have to be connected directly to employment or should I say training anyway, because it's you first have to train them, give them the skills then trade them in the job you want them to learn, which is in partnership with the government, because obviously we're not going to spend that. Then, yeah, you cannot like give them jobs. So I'm not not all into the, turn them into developers and stuff. No, not really, because not everyone will be a developer, just to be frank. And many software startups still fail. So it's not like it's a guaranteed um, source of income for people. Yeah, for example, Uber has web developers, has developers, and also has other types of employees. So yes, their developers stay, obviously they don't fire them easily, but they they can lay off a lot of drivers if they want. But that does not mean that Uber can just announce today that we're hiring 100,000 developers. That's just not gonna happen. So yes, high demand, but the companies will be like, OK, we still need just two. And then mm. how many people apply to that company? 1,000. Yeah, so not going to work. So by looking at training these people for different things, coding is not everything. Coding won't save the world. Yeah, some companies have made success in it. Yes, but you really cannot solve everything with software. This is why we have hard tech companies. It's just that it's, it's easier to like start a business software to get than hardware. So we're looking at training these people to help themselves to even make businesses. So, but not the traditional way people follow where you start giving them courses. No, no, no. Like we tell them, Hey, you can become an engineer, uh, connect them to university. They become an engineer. Then you know, tell them how that engineering that they just learned, let's say electrical can become a business. And then you fix them somewhere. Hmm. They, Update your systems, they make your country better, they improve power, you get, they shift things, you are now zero carbon emittance and stuff like that. And that makes it better for your country, like in many ways, than just creating developers or creating people that sell in small shops. For example, that's a problem that Nigeria is facing. Mm. We made a mistake, we made a mistake, and what were we doing? Who are giving people help so that they can become small businesses? Guess what? Small businesses cannot be taxed mm. because they're too small. They need to become medium, they need to grow. Guess what? They were not taught how to. So. And they fear that if they grow, they would be hit by a tax that will never let them sleep at night. So you have. Africa has a few million, that's a lot. They out, they outnumber any medium or large scale business by like, wow, you really don't want to know. I can just walk outside right now and I should see at least 10 different small businesses, but none of them pay one cent, one yuan or whatever to the government. The government's yeah. losing out on billions. They're losing out on billions because they cannot harness this. So, The governments, they want to help cool, but they do not really give the people they are helping, their citizens, the ability to grow. Like, wait, we're not helping you so you can just become small and feed your family. We're helping you so you can employ people and grow. And by that happening, they improve the GDP. They reduce costs of things in the markets. The currency strengthens. You get a lot of things, and then when the currency strengthens, that com- that country becomes. You get they cannot have more leverage. They cannot start spending on things like space exploration, which is more of like waste of money right now. Because unless you can be able to get access to a few asteroids that can help Earth, it's just to me it's a waste of time. You get, but they can have extras like America does to be able to spend. You get, they can do a lot of things with that. Nigeria was at a point like that, and she'll get back there. So, but these are the things that we're looking to help nations with because we're looking at it from a very, very large point of view. So, we're starting small with one school and maybe 30 people, and then we're growing big to a few million schools. And then we're looking at how do we help these governments really align their workforce. because if they can align their workforce after they have become from children to adolescents, to youth, to adults, then they can literally decide the future of their country. And that's actually, to me, one of the ways to go. Because if your people are not developed, then I, I just don't know how you will develop as a nation. It, it just doesn't make sense.
0: Definitely. Well, one thing's for sure, you're driv- your business is driven by impact, social impact, and you've got a massive challenge ahead of you, but that's that's the point, right? Otherwise, we there would be no point in, in trying to solve all the world's problems. So, well done to you and your team. How many of you are working on your startup at the moment at Short code? Well, um,
1: our full team is 13. Okay. Our core team is... Our core team is six. And then because we it's more of a recruitment firm, they're like different goals. So everyone cannot be present for one goal. Some goals are like to increase, let's say, clients. So teachers will not be involved there because they just create courses. Like, what's their, you guys, they don't do that. So yeah.
0: Okay. Well, it was really great to speak with you and to learn more about ShortCode. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you or find out more about your project and what you're doing or if they want to reach out to you?
1: Yes, 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 of course. You can find ShortCode on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. So that's um, ShortCode um, on LinkedIn. That's S-H-O-R-T slash down K-O-D-E. It's actually the only short code on LinkedIn, so I don't gotcha. think that's going to be hard to find.
0: Okay. Yeah, you can also
1: find us on Instagram, Facebook, yeah, etc.
0: It was a real pleasure to have you on Prosper. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. It was great listening to you and hearing about all the work that you're doing. So, guys, until next time, bye for now. You have just heard Series 10, a Rare Birds collaboration with Startup Launch Africa. Thanks so much for listening in and special thanks to Samuel, Prince, Claudia and the entire Startup Launch Africa team. To learn more, please visit the Startup Launch Africa website at www.startuplaunchgh.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with someone whom you think would be interested And don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast platform. This is an original Rare Birds HQ production. We look forward to seeing you next week as we continue our series. Until next time, Rare Ones, bye for now.